I was sitting in my living room this week with a teenager the other in my in the other couch in my living room and uh we were having a discussion about what was happening in in her life and Valerie was there and there were a couple there was another person there and in this discussion we were talking about this this moment where God speaks to us where God comes and intersects with us and meets with us and something happens. And, and the conversation went from a very like um, kind of, it was an awkward conversation, but, but the girl, when I said, we need to hear God speak to us, she went like this, she went, hey, what, what, what do you mean when you say God speaks to us? And the question I hear again and again and again is how am I supposed to hear from God? How am I supposed to interact with God? Again, this whole sermon series has been built around the idea that God wants to meet with us. And that's news to many people. That's news because if anybody's ever done any type of studying of, of, of philosophy, we got to the point where we believe that if God existed, God is unreachable. He is fully other and unable to be known. And so the idea of God meeting with us is foreign in our culture. And so we've been spending time in this sermon series talking about ways that God meets with us, ways that God engages our culture and our community now. The first way we talked about was uh, God meets with us in Scripture. The amazing thing about God meeting with us in Scripture is Scripture is constant. It's, it's always the same. Regardless of what I feel, regardless of what's happening in my life, the words of Scripture don't change. They're not that fickle. The next way that God meets with us is that we talked about was through, um, was through prayer. And then we also talked about God meeting with us in community and God engaging with us as a community as we, as we point out where God is and point out his presence to each other, reminding ourselves in testimony that God is active and is doing things. And so community and testimony is so important to our faith and to our experience. And so those are, those are ways that we've talked about. And this week, we're talking about how God meets with us in acts of service. Next week, we have our Forum Sunday where we separate out into table discussions and, uh, and we're going to be discussing these four ways. We're going to be discussing our own personal experiences with God um, just at your table and so it's very exciting. Our Forum Sundays are always very interactive and exciting and so just uh, wanted to give you a map on that. Today, if you have any comments or, or text messages, questions, you can, you can use your tablet on, uh, on today's service all the way down at the bottom and you can fill out a question and the end of the message. I will be uh, taking some of them on today. And, uh, and so that's, that's really good. So acts of service have, have become in vogue. They're, they're quite popular um, where people want to do good things. People want to, there's a sense in our culture still where good things are the best way to go, where, where, we, where we try to be good people. One of my professors, I think I've said this before, one of my professors says people are doing the best they can with what they have. They're trying to do the best that they can do. 
And I think that that's a really good perspective of our culture. We're trying to do the best we could do. If you walk around the school right now, you're going to notice that there's Diwali celebration pieces up everywhere and all throughout most public schools. That's a big thing right now. And then the idea is just very, very basic. I got a sign in the front to help me out. Um, said that, that good overcomes evil and that's what we celebrate. And I was like, oh yeah. That's pretty, it's pretty out there. It's pretty like normal. And so to say, oh, well, we meet God with, within our acts of service kind of feels like we're just going right along the cultural flow of things. And so we want to talk a little bit about how we meet with God in acts of service and what that means when we do something for somebody else. Um, how, do we, how do we actually meet with God in an act of service? Before we dive into that, I want to highlight Luke's strategy of writing as I've done every single one in this sermon series. Um, In Luke's strategy of writing, what I want to point out today is what uh, commentators say is a great reversal or a divine reversal, depends on what commentary you read. A divine reversal is something that it uplifts the poor. The divine reversal comes in to the gospel of Luke as we see it um, really, really early on. Because right in the in the first two chapters of Luke, we have we have the story of Jesus' birth. So chapter one, um, we see we see Mary visited by Gabriel. Luke is doing something very interesting in this passage in Luke 1 because what he does first is he says, okay, here's, here's the setup for, for John the Baptist's birth. John the Baptist's birth is set up where, uh, where Zechariah hears about it first and then Elizabeth hears about it. And that would be the standard cultural order. But when we come to the Annunciation of the Messiah, It's very specific that Mary hears first, that Mary becomes elevated as the person that hears first. And and the story where Gabriel comes and announces that she is going to, uh, that, that Mary is going to have a child, we then see the the position of women inside Luke's perspective of what God is doing elevated and this is amazing and very important the great reversal works continually as we move into our next sermon series Luke has specific stories that Jesus tells that are that are only found in the gospel of Luke and not found anywhere else and we will see great reversals happening with uh, socioeconomic situations where God comes and meets with the poor. We see great reversals happening with uh, inclusion and exclusion. So where God honors the Samaritan rather than, rather than the Jewish community. Um, we see great reversals happening throughout Luke where it redefines for us what God is doing in the world and how God is expanding his mission in the world from being focused simply on a Jewish nation to the entire world. And Luke takes his two-volume book, Luke and Acts, and he takes that and he, and he starts in the first four chapters with the Jewish perspective and he moves us further and further into the larger world and he ends Luke Acts with this great reversal with the Holy Spirit moving and growing the church in the in the center of the world at the time in Rome 
And so God is expanding his mission. And that's this great reversal, this divine reversal that Luke is very, very intentionally writing about and wants us to see that as we see God moving, he is moving outward and he is including people that you didn't think, that you didn't think were going to be included. And, uh, and so this is, this is a very important part of Luke's writing. So as you're reading Luke and Acts, please watch for things that are a reversal. All right. So let's get into, let's get into today's work. Um, today we're starting with Jesus is experiencing God as he joins with him in empowered mission. So I'm trying to, I'm, I know that, that Jesus walks hand in hand with God. I know that, that what Jesus does, he does with God. But I'm also struggling with the fact that, that Jesus is God. And so when I use the language Jesus meets with God, then that's a little bit problematic because how does one meet with oneself? Um, so it's a little crass, but... The reason I'm using the language is because I believe in Jesus' humanity. He shows us something that we in our humanity will also experience. And so the the crass language um, Jesus meets with God is used so that we can understand how we meet with God. Um, and, and so Jesus meets with God as he joins with him in spirit-empowered mission becomes something that I can now understand, that I don't have to reach out into this, you know, strange like, oh, what's going on in the world? I can actually see, okay, so this is a specific action and, and there's a joining with God in, in Jesus' actions. Um, the way that I see it happening and, and the way I was able to pull it out of one passage instead of the whole gospel of Luke was to focus on what becomes a paradigm building passage for Jesus. And that's, that's Luke uh, 4, 18 to 19. We're going to read it right now and then I'll make some comments on it. Um, Actually, I'll start in 17. No, I won't. I'll just start in 18. The Spirit of the Lord is upon me because he has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim liberty to the captives and recovering of sight to the blind and set at liberty those who are oppressed to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. This becomes the thesis statement for Luke, as it were, where Luke is saying we can understand the work of Jesus in his life through, the, through this passage. It comes from Isaiah. Um, this passage gives us a, a paradigmatic, um, I can't speak because of my cold, um, view of what God is is doing in the person of Jesus. So we see that Jesus is anointed by the Spirit, and what is his mission? His mission is to proclaim good news to the poor. So he's, he's walking in to people's lives who are poor, and he's saying, there is good news. We're reaching into your life, and, and we see that Jesus doesn't just leave the poor poor. We see it in the feeding um, of, of the people who are hungry. He has compassion on them, and he feeds them. And so he commits into these acts of service where it's like this is part of his mission. Um, we see that, that he's been sent to proclaim liberty to the captives. 
And uh, Matthew reflects this in, in a different way um, where he talks about going and, and, and seeing those who are in prison and and saying that this is something that's really important. Um, and so again, another act of service. Um, he and, and the recovery of sight to the blind. The, the people born with with a disease with a with what we would what we would label now a physical disability. Um, Jesus is saying, I'm coming to do something, to work in this situation, to make a difference. And Jesus makes huge differences in people's lives. And so we see recovering of sight to the blind. We also see that in a, in a, in a, in a revelation sense where, where there are people who are blind spiritually. Um, we can also understand it that way. But for the purpose of this service, we actually see it literally that Jesus is serving the blind. Um, and set at liberty those who are oppressed and to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. This is God's mission in the person of Jesus Christ. This is what he does. Everything he does throughout the Gospel of Luke, you can pull it back and check to one of these things. Yep, that, that counts as that. That counts as that. That counts as that. And we just see Jesus so consistent using this as the place where we see that, um, that God is doing work. So an act of service... It's important, I mentioned that, you know, we've got this thing where we want people to see these acts of service, where we want people to see how, um, how God is, how, how we meet with God in acts of service. But in our culture, it seems like the thing. We want people to do good works and yay, let's, let's go do a garbage cleanup day and it's going to be wonderful and there's nothing wrong with it. There's nothing wrong with doing a garbage cleanup day. So the question is, what, what's the difference what makes a difference if a Christian does a good work or a non-Christian does a good work? Isn't it just the thing that, you know, all good people go to heaven and we just go do good works and yay, good for us? What, what's the difference? What's going on here? Um, what, I, what I see is, is a very intentional piece in terms of acts of service. Um, Luke 6.22 gives us a story or the end of a story, um, it's the end of the Beatitudes, it says, Blessed are you when people hate you, and when they exclude you and revile you, and spurn your name as evil on account of the Son of Man. Rejoice and leap for joy, because behold, your reward is great in heaven. So their fathers did to the prophets. There's something in an act of service that's reflective of a larger picture of the kingdom of heaven. There's something in an act of service that says we need to bring something that reflects what the kingdom of heaven looks like. I was learning, as I was planting this church, I was learning about marketing. And marketing is a very important tool. And there was one marketing guru who says, what people do all the time is they, they tend to over-market. They, they go out there and they blast their name everywhere and they get all this pub publicity and, and they bring in the people and they haven't prepared their content enough to be able to sustain something. So what happens in that, in that model, in that story, is they go out there, they get a great name for themselves 
and then their service doesn't follow up on what was supposed to be what was promised and they lose their name very quickly and they and they actually destroy their business by overmarketing what happens and that's important is marketing is actually supposed to be something that just connects a dot that says you see this and you see this and your marketing goes oh that's that that is that i'm going to suggest that acts of service are not marketing but they are acts where we say we want you to see something specific we're not just doing a good work for the sake of doing a good work, and that might be a good thing, but we want you to see something specific here. There is a vision of the kingdom of God that is important for people to see. God is doing something that is important in our world, and we want you to see it. And the way that you can see it may be through you seeing it done points to the kingdom of God. And so Jesus, when he goes and does something, he's tying it back to the Isaiah passage, saying, I want you to see what this is. I'm not just a random magic guy that comes and heals on r at random points. I come with a proclamation of the kingdom of God that the year of the Lord's favor is here. I'm connecting a dot for you. And I'm saying, what you see here is showing you what you see there. And so Jesus is being very intentional when he does acts of service because they reveal the kingdom of God. And that's very, very important. So the next question is, how does community experience God in acts of service? How do we as a community experience God in acts of service? Again, I was with somebody and, and uh, we were talking about, you know, this whole feeling of being close to God. And I know there are people in the room that's gonna, that are going to resonate with this. And for some people, they feel close to God when they could just get lost in the worship music and God comes and, wow, there's something there. Other people, they, they just know they're close to God when they just get lost in Scripture and they open up the Scripture and God speaks to them and they're just confronted with God's truth and there it is. For others, they, they just know that God is right there when they pour out their heart about what they care about to God and, and what they care about connects with what God cares about and they just pour out their heart. And there's a whole group of people who know they're connecting with God when what they do, when the works that they do, the service that they do, they put their hand to something and they say, I'm doing this because God's doing it. As a community, as a body of believers, we are the body of Christ and God's body acts together in unity. God's body acts together in unity. And as a church, it, it becomes our organizational responsibility to help us as a people of God act together in unity with those moments and those markers that say, here, this points to the kingdom of God. The vision of Promise Church, the, our mission statement is we, we foreshadow the fulfillment of God's promises. 
And it's so good because in that moment, we can say, here's, here's an act that needs to be done. And in the kingdom of God, it looks like this. But in our reality, there's a, there's a discontinuity between what it should look like and what it does look like. And as a church, we organize and we say, we are going to take a moment and foreshadow what it will look like. And ultimately, this becomes our promise groups. Our promise groups are our mechanism by which as a whole community, we are invited to experience God together as we come together as a community. We talk and we brainstorm and we develop, but we come together and we say, how do we get to experience God and show people what the kingdom of God will look like? How do we get to be the body of Christ that gets to be the community of people that communicates that communicates the goodness of the Lord. And we do that in our promise groups. And so we're really excited about that. Um, I want to show us uh, in, in where this happens for us in Luke chapter 10, 1 to 9. See, we're gonna re- I'm going to read this passage to us. It says, After this, the Lord appointed 72 others and sent them on ahead of him, two by two, into every town and placed where he himself was about to, to every town and place where he himself was about to go. And he said to them, The harvest is plentiful, but the laborers are few. Therefore, pray earnestly to the Lord of the harvest to send laborers into his harvest. Go your way. Behold, I am sending you out as lambs in the midst of wolves. Carry no money bag, no knapsack, no sandals, and greet no one on the road. I want you to note that Jesus is asking us to take ourselves out of our position and put ourselves in a position that is less than who we are. Take for a second and not just think about that for yourself, but, but think about how that imitates exactly what Jesus did. When he who had everything in the presence of God took himself out of the presence of God and became man in the incarnation, he's asking us to imitate him here. This might not be as, like, it's, it's a pretty big deal where we take a step down. And so, whatever house you enter, first say, peace be to this house. And if the son of peace is there, your peace will rest on him. But if it's not, it will return to you. And remain in the same house, eating and drinking what they provide, for the laborer deserves its wages. Don't go from house to house whenever you enter a town and they receive you. Eat what's before you. Heal the sick and say to them, the kingdom of God has come near you. Connect the dots. But when you enter a town, do not receive and they do not receive you, go into the streets and say, um, sorry, I was supposed to stop there, that the, the heal the sick and, and say to them, the kingdom of God has come near to you. We, we are called to connect the dots. We're called to make that action. And Jesus, what he does here is he says, this is a position of servitude. He calls his disciples to join with him on his mission in his acts of service. And he, and he says, this is, this is what I am doing. So he's taken that Isaiah passage, and now he's applying that Isaiah passage to us. He's applying the Isaiah passage to us and saying, here it is. I want you to proclaim the cap- 
good news to the captives. I want you to heal the sick. I want you to get involved in those situations. I want you to do the acts of service. So the important piece is that we are experiencing God as we do the work of God in our community. In 1970s, there was a guy named Henry Blackaby who wrote a book called Experiencing God. And when I was in my teens, I actually read this book. And the one thing that, that stood out to me in this book and stood out to me ever since was he said, if you want to experience God, what I encourage you to do is take a look in your community, take a look in your church and see what God is doing and put yourself smacked out in the dead center of it and allow what God is doing to run over you and consume you. And I was like, that's good. That's good. Where I find what God is doing by observation, I say that looks like what, something that God is doing. God is bringing relief here. God is meeting with his people in this service. God is doing this. If God is doing that and I want to experience God, should I not get involved in the exact thing that God is already doing? And I find myself in the middle of his action in the middle of that, of that inspiring moment where God is actually doing something of value and I'm right in the dead center of it. See, this service isn't about putting weight on us and saying, oh, we have to do all of this stuff. We have to make sure we work harder and do good deeds. We have to make sure. No, this is God is already doing work. God is already establishing his kingdom he's been doing it in the person of jesus and through the church empowered by the holy spirit for over two thousand years and even before that god is establishing his kingdom and he invites us to take a part of it and say let what i'm doing just roll right over you let it inspire you into action let it give you the energy and the strength to do the things that are important and good and walk in the power of the holy spirit I came to this service empty. I came to this service this week. I've been drained by this ridiculous cold. I came empty. Last night, I missed a social, um, a social time with some friends who, who I care about. I missed the time with friends because I had nothing left in the tank, and I was just empty. And I spent time with God, and I was praying. And God's like, I'm already doing the work. I'm already doing the work. The days that you feel empty, God is doing work. And as a community... We get to organize and, and join with him in that, in our promise groups. And so promise groups are very important to us as, as a community. Finally, as I experience God, I experience God when I'm empowered by the Holy Spirit to partner with him. God does not leave us alone. God doesn't leave me alone and he doesn't leave you alone. He doesn't put a heavy burden on us and says, do it. He empowers us by his Holy Spirit to do things that are beyond what I could normally do. He sustains me and gives me strength for every day to do the things that he has called me to do. And so I experience God when I'm empowered by the Spirit. I don't experience God because I'm like, I'm just going to do this. I'm going to do this, and I'm going to do this. No, I experience God in that moment where I raise my hands, even just half height like this, like I'm holding a TV like that comedian guy says. And I, and I experience God, and I say, God, just fill me. Just fill me. Fill me with your Spirit. And as we read through Luke, 
we see this whole idea of the Holy Spirit empowering us again and again and again because Luke knows, just like any Christian who has tried hard for their entire life knows, that it's not by what I do, it's not by my effort, but that God has come and met with me and now I experience God in that gracious moment. So in Luke, 24, 46 to 49. I just need to flip here. It's right at the end of Luke. It says, Then he opened their minds to understand the scriptures and said to them, This is written that Christ should suffer on the third day and rise from the dead, and that the repentance of forgiveness of sins should be proclaimed in his name to all nations, beginning in Jerusalem. And you are witnesses of these things. And behold, I am sending the promise of my Father upon you. But stay in the city until you're clothed with power from on high. It is useless for me to do all the good works in the world. It is useless for me to go out and strive and work my butt off just to do good things. It is not useless to be empowered by the Spirit of God on high to do these things that he's called us to do, to be the people that proclaim and point the dots for the people to see that God is active and doing something. It's useless for me to do it on my own, but it's powerful when I'm empowered by the Holy Spirit. And so we wait and we say, God, what are you doing? How are you doing it? God, fill me with your Holy Spirit. I'm going to check for text messages, and I believe we have a couple, so they're going to... Our culture admires those who do good for others. Maybe all people recognize the truth, sacredness of people loving those who are not their loved ones. Absolutely, this is something that's, that has evolved in society. In fact, it was seen as shameful to care for weak and poor people um, in societies before Christ, and Christ actually changed the paradigms of societies, especially our Western world, were rocked by, by God's measure, by Jesus' measure of what is noble. That was completely redefined by Jesus. And so now our culture still has a cultural memory and admires good for others, but I fear that that's getting lost because it's not attached to anything. We're good for goodness sake instead of good for the kingdom of God's sake. And so something is changing there. Let's check the next one. What's the difference between social justice movement in our culture and Jesus' good news to the poor and the oppressed? Again, the social justice movement has an end in the relief of poverty for people here and now. And that's the end of their story. At the end of the day, a social justice movement actually ends up just as hopeless as no change at all. 
what we actually are, are promoting, what, what God promotes in Jesus' good news to the poor and the oppressed is hope beyond today, a hope that says that God is bringing shalom into the world and that shalom is everlasting. The, what is shalom? Shalom is the peace, the peace of God, that, that God's peace is everlasting. And so, so we see a longer story in God's good news to the poor and the oppressed than we see in social justice. If acts of service are foreshadowing the kingdom of God, then when a group of people who are not believers serve, is that still foreshadowing the kingdom of God without somebody pointing the finger to the kingdom of God? The answer is no. But when somebody connects that dot and says, this is that, now we can see that even a non-Christian can partner and have their eyes open to the greater work of what God is doing because we are able to point the finger. It's that piece where we are called to proclaim the truth of God in the situation. In our context, we change the the conversation and we change the narrative and we say, what you thought was good for goodness sake, we are now attaching to God's kingdom. And when the non-Christian sees that, they go, there's something bigger going on. Please explain. And we come back to how God is doing it in the person of Jesus Christ. Oftentimes, uh, sorry, I just want to comment on, on how people have tried to use lifestyle evangelism as a way to bring people to Jesus. What, what is forgotten in that is the proclamation of the truth of Jesus. And so there's no dots connected. You're a nice guy, but that person's a nice guy too. You're a nice girl, but the person down the street that's another religion than you is a nice girl as well. What's the difference? Proclamation of Jesus at the center of everything we do. And do people that aren't Christian experience God in acts of service and how does it work? Again, the same type of question. The only way that we really experience God in an act of service is when we're able to see how it attaches to what God is doing. Without the connecting of the dots, it's really, it becomes this like mystic kind of, I'm experiencing the creator of the universe, but what does that really do? How does it, how is it supposed to be heard? Paul said that, how will they hear unless they are told and how are they, how will they be told unless someone goes and tells them? And so for us, we're in that, we're in that boat where, where those dots of what God has been doing needs to be connected for people. And that, my friend, is called evangelism, but we've made evangelism into something else. So we want to be connecting those dots for people. So our people, do people that experience God in acts of ser- or do people that aren't Christian experience God in acts of service? They may experience something good, but they have no way to know how to connect that to God. And so it's God and the person of Jesus that we that we bring people to. And I think I might have one more. Yep. <laughs> in Luke four, uh, in Luke ten, four it says, Greet no one on the road. How does that apply to us? <laughs> Or, or the promise groups. Just don't, don't talk to anybody. Don't talk to anybody. So Jesus is saying, don't, don't get distracted by, by just everybody. Come to a house and minister there. Stay focused on just one thing. Don't be all over the place. Stay at that house. Eat at that house. Be with those people. Minister to those people. And so as a promise group, we stay focused. We're not doing absolutely everything. We're doing one thing. And we're trying to do it well.
I'm going to invite Devin to come up. And as he comes up, I'm actually going to pray. I'm going to pray that, that the Holy Spirit fills us and empowers us. When we see in Luke, we see that, that, um, that, that, we don't, that we can't do this without the Holy Spirit. Nothing we do is really going to get us anywhere until the Holy Spirit comes and fills us. And so I'm going to spend some a minute or two and just pray into that. God, we are but simple people. I am but an empty person. That I and myself don't bring much and we and ourselves don't bring much until we're filled by your presence and your power. That witnesses what you're doing and testifies that witness to other people. Holy Spirit, I pray that you would empower the people in this church. God, that you would give us boldness that's beyond our cultural norm, that you would give us strength that's beyond our own ability to muster up, that you would give us compassion that's beyond my own ability to, to create. God, I pray that you would fill us with your Holy Spirit. As a church, I pray that you would come and embolden us and strengthen us. that you would be in every single one of our promise groups, that you would be in every moment that we reach out and, and connect a dot for somebody, that we would be able to say, that's like the kingdom of God. God, Holy Spirit, transform our lives, change us, develop us, grow us, and fill us, please. We know that you've done this work and we constantly rely on you and we worship you for what you have done and what you're going to continue to do. In Jesus' name, amen.